it was a club show and I, I don't even remember the song they were playing. And then the song ends, the lights go out and I literally get hit right between the eyes with it. And I got pissed for a second. And then I realized it was a drumstick and I got really excited. <laughs> In that case, I'm going to hope that the song was I saw red because that would be perfect. Uh, <laughs> that would be perfect. <laughs> What is up, Deviants? Welcome to another edition of Sell Porn or Die Trying. I am your host. I am Connor Young. I am the CEO and co-owner of Why Not, founder of the Why Not Cam Awards, former member of the Free Speech Coalition Board, uh, and all-around adult industry veteran. And this is my show where we talk about the business side of the adult entertainment industry. And I've got a guest for you this week who I'm just thrilled to share with you guys, somebody I'm really fond of, uh, Dick Dangle. He is the host of the podcast Dangling After Dark, somebody I've I've met through the Exotica shows and gotten to know and just one of my favorite people in the industry. And you're going to see why. Dick is one of the, the really good people in this business. He's been doing his podcast now for, gosh, I want to say uh, eight years, over 400 episodes covering all kinds of adult-related topics, and we had a really fun conversation about the state of the industry and how things are going and looking forward, how we can how we can create a better industry. So looking forward to sharing that with you. Okay, we got lots to talk about this episode, and I want to get started with a word about traffic, right? Because everybody needs traffic. If you're looking for more hits to your website, if you have traffic that you want to sell, uh, our podcast is generously sponsored by Clickadoo. Clickadoo is a digital advertising network for web and mobile channels with excellent expertise, unique capabilities, and experience in revenue maximization for publishers and also for advertisers. They have a, a user-friendly self-serve platform. Uh, they have fast campaign moderation, fraud, and bot filters. Multiple payment methods are accepted, 360-degree ad coverage, and a very qualified support team. So if you are looking to buy or sell traffic Take a, a spin over to Clickadoo and check it out. That's click, C-L-I-C-K-A-D-U.com, Clickadoo.com. Give them a look. I think you'll be impressed with their interface. They've been longtime supporters of Why Not, really good guys. Uh, they, they've been around for years, so they're people you know you can trust. Buying or selling traffic, give Clickadoo.com a quick look. Okay, so why has it been so long since the last episode? Well, there has been a lot going on over here at Why Not, like a whole lot. Uh, the, the big thing was the Why Not Cam Awards and Why Not Community, which went down in Hollywood, California in October. This is our big event of the year. So it, it took a lot of time to plan and execute. Um, it's a really important show for us. And it, it went terrific, uh, really just terrific. Great people showed up and participated in community. The uh, seminars were terrific. They were very educational. We had a party on the rooftop of the W Hollywood Hotel, uh, everybody kind of hanging out, enjoying some tacos. There was swimming. Um, there was just hanging out and having drinks. That was terrific, just like right at the top of this big hotel on Hollywood Boulevard. Uh, there was also, we did a, a live cosplay karaoke party, which was fantastic. People came all dressed up in costumes, and there was a live band that um, everyone was singing, you know, in front of a live band. Um, so that was a whole lot of fun. Just a really good time in Hollywood. The Cam Awards went off um, mostly without problems, although initially there were a few miscues by by the team, the audiovisual team that was a little frustrating, but they got to, 
they got a, a handle on that. The live stream went uh, went off well. We're going to have highlights and and clips from the live stream and the interviews and the uh, award acceptance speeches. All that's coming up pretty soon on our YouTube channel. So if you are not uh, a subscriber to the Why Not Media YouTube channel, you, you should probably go over and do that. You'll get notifications when all that media is up. There's lots of pictures from the event that are circ- circulating around on social media right now. So those are easy to find. And whynotshootme.com also has pictures of the event uh, from our uh, one of our photographers, Buster Brown. So give that a look. So that took up a lot of our time. Um, and then right after that, it was off to New Jersey for Exotica. Uh, the Why Not booth was just hopping. I got to give credit to my business partner, uh, co-owner of Why Not, Jake Lapita, who did a wonderful job um, working with talent to get our booth just filled. Uh, lots of people were coming by the booth and talking with the uh, the featured talent. And um, we actually, the the person who I'm interviewing this episode was there uh, Dick Dangle, and he he brought a ton of of old vintage like Playboy magazines that he was just giving out for free. It was it was like if you've ever been to a comic con and everyone's like shifting through boxes looking for uh, comic books of a, a certain uh, issue or something. It was like that. People were just flipping through these these magazines, and it brought like a whole lot of joy to a lot of people to kind of flip through that physical media. So that was that was really great. Got to spend a day in New York City. Uh, and then it was off to New Orleans for me for DomCon. So, I mean, I think I just had a couple of days rest and then it was off to New Orleans. Uh, took my beautiful, wonderful, awesome girlfriend, uh, Mistress Freya Wild, Wild with me. Um, actually, she took me with her is a better way to put it. DomCon was her domain. I was uh, there for support and just to check it out. And I learned a lot. I mean, that was a really fascinating trip uh, to New Orleans to kind of get a glimpse of of a a piece of the um you know the the adult fetish community that I don't often get to see. So that was so much fun and just really enjoyed spending time uh with my girl and we walked around New Orleans and just the food. Wow. I mean, it's been a while since I've been to New Orleans and you know everybody knows it's famous for its food. And sometimes you know you get some place and you think it's you know what there's this reputation but this is so overrated not there. Wow. Just like every restaurant we wandered into, the food was just like top notch. I mean, just really so good. Uh, So if you haven't been to New Orleans and you're thinking about it and you love good food, you love jazz, we got to see some wonderful live jazz music, went into shops that like specialized in um, like voodoo and all kinds of cool uh, New Orleans cultural history uh, we got to see. That was really cool too. And after we got back from that, you know, we just turned right around and the both of us were off to Las Vegas. This was a top secret why not trip. So I can't really get into the details of Las Vegas, but I just got back from Vegas a couple of days ago and uh, finally having a little time in the office uh, before I head off to Washington, D.C. here soon for Exotica. Um, we are going to also have a large why not booth at Exotica. Lots of Really wonderful talent will be uh, will be hanging out in the booth and talking to fans. If you're going to be in D.C. for Exotica, swing by. Uh, find me. You'll find my business partner, Jay, there. You'll find all kinds of awesome, amazing people in the Why Not booth. So definitely swing by and, um, and talk to us if you're going to be in Exotica. Now, I'd like to take just a quick moment to talk about what's going on with Twitter. Uh, you know, as as you probably know, if you're if you haven't been living under a rock, the the platform was purchased by Elon Musk, and he's been um, well. Let's just say his presence has been known since he took over the helm at Twitter. 
Um, I don't know how long that will last, uh, if he'll get distracted with his other companies or what, but it feels like change has been fast and furious at Twitter. Now, what's going to happen? Anyone's guess. Uh, the reason why we pay so much attention to Twitter is historically this platform has been the most friendly of the major social media companies to adult entertainment. So it's very important for a lot of companies, and it's especially important for sex workers. And if sex workers are doing well, we're all doing well. Uh, we want them to do well. It's a platform to watch, and we have to hope that there aren't any changes to our detriment. Hopefully, there'll be changes uh, that are positive at Twitter. I mean, the odds are the platform survives, right? I mean, it was there was billions of dollars at stake here. Lots of money paid for that platform. Odds are it's going to survive. Uh, it, it just wouldn't make any sense for it to not. But that doesn't mean there won't be hiccups along the way. It also doesn't mean that the Twitter that comes out the other end of all this will look anything like the one that we've that we've known. So given the importance of the platform, you know, I, I, I don't want to say it's cause for alarm, but it's definitely cause for concern, I think, and for everybody to pay attention and start thinking about, OK, what do we do if this thing goes goes bad? I mean, also look for potential opportunities, right? I mean, there's been talk of. Twitter allowing creators to sell content directly through the platform. Uh, adult might be included in that. I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing. I talk about that with Dick a little in the interview you're going to hear coming up. Um, I have mixed feelings on that one, but um, you know it remains to be seen how that that shakes down. The real concern is if Twitter does some sort of an about face on adult content, either starts not allowing it or puts it under such restraints that you know, you effectively can't promote adult without risk of, of, of count bans. These are the things that I think we have to worry about. Uh, it would be, of course, very hypocritical of Musk to do that, considering he's been touting his uh, free speech credentials. But you know what? I've seen I've seen that kind of hypocrisy before. So would it entirely surprise me? No. Uh, so it's probably time for us to start thinking about backup plans as an industry to Twitter just in case, just in case. And a lot of people are talking about Mastodon right now, which is a terrible name, Mastodon. Um, it's, it's, it's a fucking horrible name. <laughs> it's a horrible name. But the platform is very familiar. It looks a little like Twitter. It's kind of unique in that it's a decentralized social media platform. So you kind of choose from multiple. If you're a gamer, you'll kind of get this concept. You choose from multiple servers where you want to sign up. And each server might have slightly different rules in terms of like what it allows or how they how they um, police the accounts. But regardless of which server you're on, you actually will see and can interact with people on any of the other servers. So that's the good news. It's like you're not on some little isolated server where you can't see and interact with everybody else. You get to interact with the larger community on Mastodon, the entire community, um, but you also get to choose which server you're going to go to when you log in, log out, um, you know, sign up for your account, et cetera. So it's something that we're trying to understand better and know if that's basically a good backup, uh, trying to understand if there's any risks for adult entertainment with Mastodon. So far, uh, it's looking kind of promising as a potential backup, and we're going to keep our eye on that, and I will report back as I learn more about this platform, and we'll see how it goes. We'll see if, if anybody's getting any traction on the platform. Uh, could be an interesting opportunity, especially early, for people who are are promoting on that platform where maybe they're not quite as buried or invisible as they are on Twitter uh, because there's just so many people on Twitter. So we're going to keep an eye on that and see how that goes. Hopefully 
that will provide the industry with just yet another marketing channel or promotional channel for um, for our our awesome talent and companies and services that we offer. Stay tuned on that. Before we get to the interview, one more thing. I want to talk about Broker.XXX, which is the other sponsor of this podcast. Broker.XXX is a marketplace that's powered by a staff of highly respected adult industry veterans. These are guys that we've personally known for um, more than a decade. Uh, They've got a tremendous amount of experience in the uh, adult entertainment game. So these are people that we personally know, people that are trustworthy, people that have been around. I, I repeat that because that's really important when you're working with adult companies. Did they just show up on the scene or are these people who, who you know have been around? Um, I think that that speaks a lot. They offer a dedicated marketplace for buying and selling adult websites, which is the cool thing. You can sell domain names there. You can sell full businesses there because investors need to be careful when they're spending you know big money in adult. Uh, that's so, so again, that's why it's such a huge advantage when you're working with a team that have been around and been visible. If you're going to spend money on a website – or if you're putting your website up, you need to know that you're dealing with reputable people. So if you have any interest in buying or selling websites, businesses, domain names even, swing by broker.xxx, take a look at their marketplace and see if it's got something you know that's a good match for, for your particular needs. All right, on to the interview. This is Dick Dangle. Dick Dangle is the host of the podcast Dangling After Dark. He is uh, got started in the adult business, I believe, back in 2008, uh, right about when all that crazy uh, market crash stuff was going on. Um, and he's been doing his podcast for many years since. And man, he has interviewed so many of our industry's um, amazing talent and, and, and performers and just understands that side of the business like very few people do. And in this podcast, we kind of we get into a lot of topics. We start talking about things like, you know, of course, industry talent and also things like how we could build a better adult industry together. Uh, Dick is actually he's a big fan of physical media, which was we have a really interesting discussion around that DVDs and collectibles and all these kinds of things. Um, so it's a really good interview. And this and Dick's a really good guy. If you don't listen to his podcast already, definitely urge you to go look for Dangling After Dark. Uh, subscribe to the podcast um, on Spotify or wherever it is you listen to your podcast and uh, and give it a listen. I think you'll find it uh, very entertaining and a lot of fun. All right. Without any further ado, here is me talking with Dick Dangle from Dangling After Dark. Hey, Dick, thank you so much for uh, joining me tonight. And I'm sorry for all the confusion. I, for those listening, I had, <laughs> I had a flat tire trying to get back to the office to record this, this episode. And I wasn't sure if I was going to make it, but luckily I'm here. Thank you for uh, hanging in there with me with all those frantic uh, messages through Twitter. Yeah, absolutely. It's my pleasure to be here. And things like that happen all the time. You should know when it comes to business. And I know as a podcaster, the opportunity for something to go wrong 
wrong always makes itself known. So you just kind of roll with the punches. Yeah, it's been a crazy week and I've had um, a lot on the to-do list and I'm trying to get things off the list. It feels like every time I get one off the list, something jumps back on the list for me. So now I now I got I got the spare on my uh, vehicle. I got to get a new tire for that tomorrow. So that's going to be a whole lot of fun. It's a giant nail just like poking in this thing. But you know what's cool is in modern cars, they tell you now, right? When your tire pressure is starting to go down, you get alerts. Otherwise, I, I, I wouldn't have even known. So um, good stuff. So thanks for hanging in there with me. Um, listen, obviously, we've known each other for a while. Um, and um, obviously, I'm a, I'm a big fan of yours. I, I love hanging out with you at Exotica shows. Um, but I wanted to give everybody listening a chance to get to know you um, a little bit more. And uh, first of all, before we get into the industry stuff, I just wanted to, to ask you about what what are your passions outside of adult? Give us an idea of the things that you're into and, and things you enjoy doing. The things I really enjoy when it comes to my time away from podcasting, in a way, still kind of take po- what I enjoy in podcasting into account, and that is physical media. Um, I'm a huge music guy. Uh, sadly, the listeners cannot see what this gentleman is seeing on the camera. But behind me, I have a row of CDs and I have about 2,500 that complete the wall behind me. And I have about that wow. many records as well. It's really out of hand. And <laughs> it's impressive. Thank you. And I probably have seven, 800 cassettes. Like it's just, it, it's actually gotten to be too much, but I love it so much. And I actually get a lot of people that say, do you actually listen to these, all these records and stuff like that? And I said, yeah, I do. I spend a couple, a uh, couple hours uh, through the week, just unwinding and uh, kind of decluttering the brain and just putting on a record and listen to it. It's it's a lot of fun for me. And I got into collecting records back before it got really cool. Uh, I've been collecting probably about 10 or 12 years now. And I was lucky enough that at that point, people were just giving away collections. They didn't want the weight. They didn't want the hassle. And I would just take them on. And now I have a, uh, a nice little collection of some, some pretty awesome stuff that I'll show you after we're done recording. But I've always been a fan, not only of, of records and things like that, but supporting bands as well. So I have uh, a nice collection of signed drum heads and concert use sticks and all that drumsticks and and things like that. But when it comes to adult, I've always been a collector. Uh, When I was a teenager, I actually had a baseball card, sports card collection that I sold that got me through a year of college. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. I had about a hundred thousand cards. Holy cow. You know, and and for those who don't know, it's not easy to like find cards that are worth anything. Like I got a ton of cards I couldn't give away. Right. So that you actually had some that was worth something. That's pretty impressive. It's funny. I did have a lot that were worth money, but I also sold them at a point, maybe four or five months before the market collapsed because they realized Ah. there were just so many cards out there. So, you know, you're talking mid nineties, but uh, I've always been a collector. And when it came to things of an adult nature, when I started going to conventions and and meeting all of these people it just started this thing of of collecting and and almost being 
kind of a, a keeper of some of these really interesting items. So I have a nice collection of VHS. I have eight millimeter films. Of course, I have hundreds upon hundreds of DVDs, uh, autographs. I have a nice little library, but I also got like weird things where I have peep show tokens, replicas of sake cups from Asia, and they have nude scenes painted on them. And just just weird things <laughs> like that. And it's just anything I can find that kind of makes me smile and is something that not a lot of people have. It just it's welcome in my collection. Add them to the collection. That's great. And what what like with music, is there a certain genre you're into or what's your favorite? Like give us some of your bands that you, you you like the most oh my goodness that is so difficult because i do when people say i listen to everything i listen to everything i listen to uh the early jazz and big band music from the 20s 30s and 40s i listen to the heaviest of heavy metal yeah everything in between so you're talking uh, I love Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, um, Nat King Cole. I love Fear Factory and Thy Art is Murder and Upon a Burning Body and just whatever kind of connects with me on a level that I almost can't explain is something I gravitate to. There is stuff that I, I really don't care for. I don't care for a lot of modern country music, but uh, I love stuff from the 90s and and older. Yeah, it just it is truly truly anything. I have yeah, I love Elvis and I have Beatles records of course and all that stuff, but I just have I have such an obscure brain that I'm such a mood listener. So I always try to find something that can really connect with the different moods that I'm in. Yeah, I mean I was a big um hair metal fan in, in uh, high school you know it was like if, if you were into uh pretty girls and that whole scene it was hard to beat you know head out to some of these concerts Def Leppard Motley Crue um Guns and Roses when they first came out um had so much fun at those concerts and I used to collect records that were like rare like we'd find these like rare you know like um special edition LPs and whatnot that these bands would do and I have no idea what I did with any of them. Right. So like somewhere I like there was a box of, of really nice kind of rare records that just disappeared. And I have no clue where they are. I even have a recording of myself. I made the, uh, if I can brag in high school, the California state honor band. Thank you very much. Um, I was a bit of a musician and we did a recording on vinyl. And I remember CDs had just come out and they let us all decide if we wanted to do records or CDs. And um, I'm proud to say we all chose we wanted a record, which is really cool, right? To have a record uh, recording. Uh, I have no idea what happened. Oh. I was such a bummer. I see you kept everything. Like I probably am down to like 10 cassette tapes from back in the day. I uh, <laughs> still have a lot of DVDs, though, because I used to own a video rental store, like Blockbuster style. So I did that for a while. So I still got ton of those but um vhs tapes i got rid of most of them do you collect vhs as well oh yes i have a ton of vhs and that was another thing that recently a lot of people were just like get rid of it everything is either streaming or it's dvd when it comes to adult just get rid of it i'm like i'll take it and just (laughs) that's just the way i am but it's funny we're talking about hair metal it was one of the things i wanted to show you this is a drumstick that i caught at a warrant concert. Oh no shit. Yeah. It, 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 it literally, we, it was a club show. 
and I, I don't even remember the song they were playing. And then the song ends, the lights go out, and I literally get hit right between the eyes with it. And I got pissed for a second, and then I realized it was a drumstick, and I got really excited. <laughs> In that case, I'm going to hope that the song was I Saw Red, because that would be perfect. Uh, <laughs> that would be perfect. That's a great song. It's a good song. Yeah, definitely a good song. I, yeah, I had a lot of good times in concerts and going to see those those bands play. And um, I kind of missed that scene. But, uh, you know, uh, what are you going to do? But, uh, yeah, these recordings and, and all these collectibles, that's what we have at that time, right? It's what we have left to look back on it and kind of remember it. So that's uh, really cool that you got some uh, – some uh, some good stuff in your collection. I was I was a big jazz musician in high school as well. Played in a jazz festival. No kidding. All over the place. Our piano player in our combo was such a prodigy. He got to play with Dizzy Gillespie on stage at the uh, Monterey Jazz Festival, which was really wow. Cool. Oh, that's Dizzy awesome. was old, and you know, but uh, at that point, and, you know, but still, it was like fucking Dizzy Gillespie. I mean, it's hard to beat that. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. So so let me ask you. Um, Tell me about, I like to get origin stories from everybody in terms of adults. So like at one point you're not really doing anything in the adult industry and then you are, right? So how did that happen? What were you doing? Do you remember? And how did you sort of get involved in the adult, adult business? I guess I would have to go back to my first convention because I was always someone known as kind of the flirty, dirty guy, but not the creep. And I always thought of flirting as, as a game and people kind of connected with that. And I had a nice group of friends that had similar senses of humor and, and sensibilities. And as I just kind of grew older and got more comfortable with adult, because of course, when I was young, it was just magazines and then VHS and DVD came in and it just became more and more comfortable to me. And then I hear about this thing called the AVN Expo in Las Vegas. So myself and my best friend. What year was this? I'm sorry to set the. Uh... 2008. Ah, okay. Right during the, the collapse. <laughs> it was exactly during the collapse. So I had heard about it and my best friend was like, hey, why don't we just go out? And, you know, you can go for a day and we'll do the sites and things like that. And that's what we did. It ended up being a great trip. But I went the one day and I met so many amazing people that are amazingly still in the industry, which is crazy, or at least peripherally, you know, they have only fans or they're feature dancing. It was such an amazing day that when I came home, I was telling other friends and myself and another group of friends go in 2010 and it kind of snowballed. And then I went in 2014 and I started going to Exotica's. My first one was in New Jersey in 2012. That is happening. And I end up meeting a friend or making a friend who was part of a podcast group. And this would have been 2009, 2010. And a little bit later on, he said, you know what? I think you'd be a good fit for this podcast. Just come in, hang out. It'll be a good time. And I did. And we all blended really, really well. Well, the host of that is the stepfather. And he's the gentleman I started my podcast with. And our mutual friend, that's Webman Greg. He's kind of my guy behind the scenes. And I went to the stepfather and I said, I got this idea for a show. And I told him about it. And he's like, man, you know what? This, this could have some legs. This could be something. And we did a handful of test shows just to see what it would be like, because we really didn't know, and I didn't know, 
quite what I wanted the formula to be. And the test shows went so well that we ended up just releasing them. And the early shows were a lot of me just kind of giving my personal lists and personal stories and just kind of having fun with it and making making it comfortable, I guess would be the best way to put it. Because it's very easy to have this at an arm's length nervousness when you start to talk about sex, especially as a guy. And especially if you're telling stories that are a little bit not perfect. You know, it isn't the perfect scenario that everybody dreams of. But I was always right, comfortable right. doing that. And we just ran with it and we started to find a formula and another gentleman by the name of Champagne Dan, he was a little, he's a better networker than I was. And he got me in to do interviews at a local gentleman's club in Pittsburgh where the show was based. And it just took off from there. And the reason it did was the people that were featured dancing, I had been meeting at conventions so they recognize me and they recognize the name. So they're like, you know what? He's a good guy. He's a respectful guy. Sure, I'll do the interview. And from there, it just took off. Yeah. And, and just before we get any further, for those who aren't familiar with the podcast, um, give us give us the basics. What's the name of the podcast? Where can people listen to it? Um, what's your pitch for why they should tune in? What are you guys talking about each week? Let's make sure we cover that here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the name of the show is Dangling After Dark with Dick Dangle. I am Dick Dangle. And the show can be found on Spotify, iHeart, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Skyhawk After Dark Network. If you want to listen to it on your phone, use the CastBox podcast player. You'll find that in your app store. There are a couple more coming down the road. I'm waiting to hear the yes, you can be on our platform, you know, all that kind of fun stuff. But the show pitch, I guess I would say it's fun and it's funny, but it's not overly sophomoric. There really isn't a shtick to it. And I wanted it to be that way. I wanted to be able to have fun with it and tell stories and be creative with it in a way that's accessible for everybody. And the amount of female listeners actually makes me really proud. Um, I'm probably at around 30, 35% female listenership. For, so for a male driven adult show, that is pretty impressive. And a lot of what I've been able to accomplish has been built on how I do interviews. It's not the same hackneyed trope questions that you see a lot of people asking those questions just they make me shudder when I hear them and it drives me absolutely crazy. And I always know this is true because I'll go to these people and I will ask my questions. And after the interview is over, they will say one of two things. One, those were some great questions or two. Thank you for not asking the other questions. Yes. <laughs> give me, give us for people listening. Give us an example of some of those questions that uh, kind of make you shudder. What are what are what are some of those questions? So, Miss Performer Star, what's the biggest penis you've ever had inserted inside of you? How many people have you slept with in one day? What you know? It just oh, it just it absolutely kills me and yeah. what's really funny is if i go to a convention and typically when i go to convention i'm on the floor 
my interviews are very short. I tend to just ask very quick hitting questions that are fun, easy to answer. They take five to 10 minutes, but I'll be behind somebody that is trying to do an interview and they have no idea what to ask. They have nothing prepared. So they just go, what do you want to talk about? And like, well, you're the one interviewing me. You, you tell me. So then they start to ask those questions and I just see the eye rolls and I'm like, Oh, sorry. They, they, they can't all be me, (laughs) you know, not to sound like that, but you know, (laughs) sorry, they didn't take lessons. I apologize. Right. Right, right. I saw just on Twitter today. Um, I don't know if it was legit. You never know when Twitter is like, is this legit or not? But somebody, uh, was was claiming they had received this letter from BuzzFeed, right? Did you see this? It was like from a pro dom, and she said she received this letter from BuzzFeed, and they were they were claiming they were going to do a contest or not a contest, like I don't know, some kind of a feature, and they're like, "Do you want to be in it?" And the concept was they wanted her to go down this row and kiss all these guys and try to determine from kissing them who was like the fuck boy, right? And that was that was the concept. And I'm thinking you're hitting up pro doms for this. Like, I mean, do you know anything right about what you're talking about here and who you're reaching out to? I, sometimes the, the mainstream, I guess, um, media, uh, organizations don't really seem to have a lot of understanding about our industry. And I don't think they really look at performers as the human beings that they are, like, if that makes sense. And it sounds like what you're saying is you're treating them like human beings. And, and, uh, that, that makes a big difference when you're asking your questions. For sure, because the type of questions I like to ask, of course, some of them are silly or fun. And, you know, I try to get to know the person behind the performer, but sometimes I just want to know the insight. Sometimes I'll ask a question and it's angled in a way that if somebody is interested in making their own content, that answer may help them. Or it's a question where it's a little bit more introspective about their career and their mindset. And when I ask those questions, you can actually watch the, oh, this guy gets it. This guy understands what I'm trying to accomplish with my job. And it allows them to relax. And it does allow them to open up a little bit more but it allows them to give more honest answers. Yeah, fantastic. I, I actually love that. And um, and I, I completely get what you're saying. And I I do think a lot of people who interview performers in our industry don't spend a lot of time researching um, this industry or understanding this industry. There's heck, I mean, I've, I've worked in porn since, she's uh, 1997. And um when I talk to family members still about it, all right. It's like, they don't get it right. The, the stereotypes that are in their head about our industry and what it's all about, and the people who work in our industry, uh, they couldn't be, can, couldn't be more far off. Do you find that when you're talking to people outside the industry that they just have ridiculous ideas about you know, the people who work in it all? Where do I even begin? Um, not all that long ago, I was talking with a gentleman at a club And I'm currently doing interviews out of uh, Rick's Cabaret in Pittsburgh. And they allow me to use kind of a private room because it's a little bit more quiet. And you have those prototypical man bros where like, so uh, what's what's this? What's this all about? What's your thing? So I explain (laughs) it and they go, oh, that's awesome. Please tell me you slept with like all of them. 
Oh, yeah. Because that's that's going down, right? Oh, there's nothing a performer wants to do more than to sleep with a chubby 40-some-year-old podcaster from Pittsburgh just as a just as a gift for the interview. Stop it. That's not how that works. If it would, I wouldn't complain. But it does not at all. I, I hate to crush those dreams because there's part of me that's like, Maybe part of this, I should be playing into that because it might help with either marketing or listenership, but I, I just can't because it's so disingenuous. Yeah, that's an old industry thing, right? This this um, fantasy that all the guys in the industry are just having all this wild sex and whatnot, but it's just – it's. Obviously, um, yeah, I think those are probably older. You call them dude bros. I think I call those guys douche bros. But uh, <laughs> similar. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah the the amount of people like I'll go to Vegas or New Jersey or wherever a convention is, and the amount of people that come back. Oh man, you must you must see all these wild parties. And it's interesting now because there seems to be this split between how the industry used to be run and how people within the industry used to behave and now how they behave. Now everyone goes to bed because they want to be on top of their game. If they're either shooting content in the morning or if they're going to the convention because they want that experience to be great for their fans. So they come back. There isn't the, I mean, I'm sure it's still out there, but I just don't see the amount of people partying like I used to at conventions 2008, 2010, 2014. Yeah, that is that is so true. And actually, I could say in um, my first show was 98. And uh, actually, Orlando, believe it or not, all places, uh, went to Orlando for IA2000, which became Internext Expo, which is happening in Vegas here. It's still the remnants of that show is actually still ongoing, although it's down to a very small number of people now. Um, but it was ridiculously huge back in the day. There was so much money in it um, in the industry. Everybody was making just money hands over fist. And so the displays of excess, it's like if you take a bunch of people that aren't like real careful business guys that just all of a sudden just struck it rich, right? Like what's going to happen? There's all these guys everywhere throwing money everywhere and wild parties. And um, most of the women who were tuning that sh the shows back then that were like hired talent, right? It wasn't um, a lot of, of, of people um, attending shows on their own behalf. Somebody was hiring them to attend. So it was a different atmosphere. It was very male centric, right? For sure. And um, I don't believe that's the case with the industry today. Um, which is what I kind of rolls into one of the first state of the industry questions I wanted to ask you. I wanted to start with something kind of positive about our industry um, and what you think when you think of the adult entertainment business today versus like maybe over the last 10 years, what changes are you seeing in the industry that you think are a notable improvement over the way it used to be? There is so much positivity within that question because you can look at how people are accepted into the industry, especially by viewers. You have every body type, every age, every fetish. They are, they all have an audience and it allows them to try and find success expressing themselves sexually or through fetish. That is absolutely incredible. I see a lot of people truly wanting to build a community 
within that because as we talked about uh, there are so many misnomers when it comes to the industry that there's still a pretty big population of people that understandably agree with the listen we're the only ones that get this so we need to stick together and and band together because we're the only ones that get it and that's huge to really have that kind of support within your industry especially when it is so even though it's gigantic it's still very niche so to be able to have that support within the industry is incredible and that allows people to really find their creativity within it to be able to express yourself creatively sexually is amazing because I think that allows viewers or fans to go. I didn't think anybody would get what I am and they are, and that may allow them to build upon themselves creatively or, you know, seek other people out or then go see those people at conventions. But when you have this almost self-feeding system, it makes the industry a lot stronger. And when you have that ability to have people be creative in so many different ways and see themselves through somebody else in the industry, it allows them to be more comfortable with whoever they are sexually. It There's so many positives within that mindset for the industry. It's amazing. When I went to my first few conventions, it was such a small industry, really, because you had your big stars and you had the people that wanted to be big stars. There wasn't this gigantic population of cam models and content creators. It was truly a few hundred people, and that was it. And right when I started to go to conventions was when the piracy collapse for lack of a better term came about. So there wasn't a lot of money coming into the industry now because people within the industry are so creative and they're so resourceful that that model is coming back again, where not only is the power with the creator, but the money is coming with it. Yeah, there's a lot of things that you said that really resonate with me. Um, first, early on, you were talking about um, how there is a market now for people of all kinds of body shapes, all kinds of niches, etc. The industry that I started in was not like this, right? The, there were companies that were deciding what was getting made. They were putting the money up for what was getting made. They were hiring the talent that they wanted. They were deciding what look the fans were going to get. Right. And if somebody didn't really fit the mold of what these gatekeepers thought talent should look like, they simply weren't provided those opportunities. Right. Um, so that's something that we've been trying to highlight uh, here at Why Not when we uh, created the Why Not Cam Awards, for example. Uh, one of the things I was trying to highlight was exactly that cam platforms and then, of course, now creator platforms have proven that that old model was a lie, right? This idea that fans don't want to see X, Y, and Z, they only want to see this over here, that was all bullshit. There is a market for all these different um, um, 
uh, uh, body types, all these different niches, all these different personalities. Um, and I think that's been one of the truly great changes in our industry over the last like 10 years or so. Sound fair? Am I characterizing that correctly? Yeah, I can agree with that. I think that is where the industry is now. It's it's at a crossroads. It's at a fork in the road of the old guard and how business has always been run and the new guard and where they want to take the business. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens over the next few years with that. Yeah. And the other thing you were touching on that I think is really key is um, this is my terms now. Um, I think you were touching on a bit the issue of isolation um, in the, in the sense that performers who are working from their homes, fans who are maybe not getting out as much as they used to be back in the day, you have a lot of isolated people. Um, fans want to connect with other human beings that they find attractive, right? Which you can do through camming. You could do through creator platforms where creators are, are interacting with you, maybe producing content, custom content, or taking requests, or um, or just simply messaging. There's sexting. There's all these ways that fans can connect with performers. So that, I think, is a good thing there. And it helped that crash you were talking about, right? That was because video was no longer easy to sell. Right. Right. We had Pornhub. We had um, tube sites that were just giving it away. But that fan to creator, fan to model interaction, that connection, that's something that can't be pirated. Correct. Now, isolation, of course, also extends to performers in the industry. Right. Um, and this is also you were talking about building community. This is kind of how we came up with the concept for why not community. Right. Um, was we saw all these isolated performers, especially in the United States, right, where there are no camp studios and and, um, and resources like that, who were scattered and all over the place. And we thought about how important shows were to us when we were just webmasters or web developers, and we would get together with other web developers. And the work at home was very isolated, but now we got around others who were doing the same thing. We would form collaborations. We would meet people. It made the industry more exciting. And we were thinking... How can we do that for the adult uh, performers in, in this isolated, scattered um, reality that they all find themselves in? Um, so I think you're right, right? When you're, when you're at Exotica shows, don't you get a sense that regardless of whether or not the performers there are making a lot of money from the fans or not, maybe they are, maybe they're not, it does something good for performers to get around other performers, people who get it, people who are doing the same thing they're doing, talk shop, you know, um, get around people who aren't judging them, maybe share some tips. Isn't that really just good for the soul? Oh, 100%. You do have those moments where the creators, the models, the performers do have that professional interaction. They are talking shop and they're getting new ideas and they're kind of looking at things differently and they're asking advice but to watch the amount of people that, let's say it's Exotica, New Jersey, and they that may be the only convention they do all year. They are there to get hugs and maybe share a laugh, share a cry, and, and truly build those bonds back again. And that's what I really enjoy, whether it is between performers or if it's with performers and their fans, because 
you see so many people year over year going back to their favorite performers and like someone like myself, I like to take a picture with the person. I will print it out and then have them sign it the next year. And so many performers like this is amazing. And it's just those little things. And there are different versions of that for everybody when they go to conventions and just to see the bond that that builds between the creator and their fans is amazing. You can't really recreate that in any other way than in person. Yeah. And New Jersey just happened. Actually, we were in New Jersey um, just a few weeks ago. Um, and I was curious what you thought about the show floor there specifically. Um, there were, Thinking some of the companies, the big companies that were there, there was MFC, there was Chatterbait, there was, um, you know, browsers. Do you feel like we're getting enough of the industry at these shows that are to kind of represent properly? Or what did you think of the show floor in general? I was impressed with the fan turnout. That is for sure. Every year when New Jersey happens, I go, man, there's no way that Saturday can be busier than it was the year before. And it is. It is absolutely madness. On Saturdays, even Friday was super busy. And a lot of performers that I talked to said they were surprised with how busy Sunday was for the first few hours, which that typically tends to be a wrap up day. And it's really chill when it comes to actual businesses. Could adult businesses do a better job being more visible there? Absolutely. But I think they need to adapt. I think the model needs to change a little bit. I think they need to remember that putting that kind of investment in comes back later because I think there is such that instant gratification, that instant need for, I want to see the payoff right now. And I think that's kind of the difference between the old guard and the new guard. Because when I said that people want to build a community And it's about that, hey, listen, we are the only ones that get this. We need to support each other and build with each other. That's the new guard. But there is still some of the old guard, which am I allowed to swear on your podcast? Fucking A, man. Say whatever you want. Okay, good. (laughs) The old guard is the listen, no one gets what we do in this industry. So we have to support each other. We got to take care of each other. But fuck you. I got mine. You get yours. And that's what needs to go away because when you realize that you have to build that investment long-term, if you're just looking at it like, okay, I put in X amount of dollars for this convention. I want Y amount of dollars when it's over. If you're doing that, you completely miss, misunderstand what that business model is. When it comes to conventions, it's what it's going to be over six months to a year, but you have to build it there. So I think if you have a better footprint from adult companies there, it will go a long way to how that business does long-term through the future. This, you know, hearing you say all this stuff is like music to my ears because this (laughs) is something we've been trying to explain to other companies in this industry for a long time. And some get it, right? Some absolutely get it. Chatterbait's there everywhere. They're building community. They're investing back into the industry and back into their performers, their broadcasters. Um, There's a lot of companies that are absent, though. And you're right. That's what we get, right? Like, where's the ROI? Am I going to come away from this show with X amount of new sales? 
But everything I've personally accomplished in this business came from going out to like, it wouldn't have happened if I had not been going to shows and investing in that over the course of many years, I would have never met Jay, right? I wouldn't be currently, you know, owner of why not, right? That none of this would have ever happened if I wasn't going to shows. Um, The companies that are there, like, are supporting a true actual industry, right? I mean, I I don't know how to put this exactly to where it makes sense, but if we're all just isolated in little companies and we're not coming together, we don't really have an industry. We don't really have anything other than these random um, scattered companies. And that is not a very safe place to work. It's not a very safe place to, to put your all your eggs into that basket when it's like like you don't have an industry to support you. What other industry that you can think of doesn't try to build that? Like, I mean, if you're talking Hollywood, for example, um, you know, there is all kinds of events and activities and shows and whatnot where all these companies come together and build an industry. Why are we not doing that more? I'm a little disappointed there weren't more companies that kind of get that. Yeah, and actually Hollywood is a really good example just in the way of, okay, we have this product that is coming out. So let's spend weeks, if not months, teasing it so there's a fever, there's a fervor when it comes to that product coming out and people wanting it. You really don't see that in adult. You'll see some trailers for people like Axel Braun, Uh, adult time, things like that. But you really don't see that, hey, we have something in the works and you're going to want to be either at that convention or you're going to want to subscribe to our site for it and just let people go, oh man, what is that going to be? You know, it's the one interesting model when it comes to adult conventions, because I've been hearing a lot of things on social media about okay, is the model for adult conventions stale? And there's part of it that's yes, because there is that struggle between the old guard and the new guard. There will always be adult conventions because people do want to have those face-to-face interactions. But when I hear that, I go, okay, well, let's see if we can fix this problem. What, What I usually do... We'll talk out of school here. Uh, I I have issues with depression. So one way I get myself out of that is I go, okay, now what? I go, okay, I'm in this mood. Why am I in this mood? And how do I get out of it? And that's my, and now what? So that is how I kind of approach this question when I saw it on social media. It's like, okay, well, now what? So what does the industry do to become popular at conventions again? So I look at things like Comic-Con, SEMA, CES, all these different conventions that are growing by leaps and bounds. There are models within those conventions that the adult industry can most definitely use to become hugely popular again. And I think they just need some different companies and some different people to go, oh, okay, I see what we're missing. I see what we can do because I have a lot of ideas, but I see what we can do to make this better, to bring fans in. Yeah, I hundred percent agree, of course. And I think back on the lessons I've learned from how adult companies behave at these shows and how they can sort of sometimes 
oh, not be helpful in terms of, um, you know, moving the industry forward. So, for example, the Internet show I was talking about, which is still around in Vegas, uh, used to be a big show with booths and all kinds of exciting stuff happening. Companies would exhibit there, right? So you could walk around. This was a B2B show. So this was in the time when affiliate programs were huge. It was before the crash. Um, so people could create pay sites and they could um, create affiliate programs for those pay sites. And they were looking for affiliates to promote them. And there was a lot of stuff going on there that's not happening in the same level now. However, you could walk around to Boost. You could talk with companies. You meet their marketing executives. You meet their salespeople. Um, you can have business discussions. Um, it was uh, It was the kind of environment where you go to it and you'd come away sort of supercharged about trying to grow your own adult company, your own adult business, right? Little by little, the show floor went away. Well, the reason why it went away was because companies started, the companies that were, that were having a hard time getting the money to create a booth, instead of just simply saying, hey, I can't afford a booth, what they would do is they would say things like this. Hey man, I'm so smart that all I'm going to do is I'm going to go there and I'm I'm not going to have a booth, man. I'm just going to walk around to everybody else's booth and sell these suckers at their booth, right? Because I'm so clever. And then everybody else started going, well, what the fuck am I getting a booth when everybody else is so they can come into my booth and market to me? Fuck that. I'm going to do the same thing. And little by little, people stopped investing in these booths. And before you knew it, the show never ha- didn't have a show floor anymore, right? And we lost that ability to sort of come together and network and brainstorm and create um, these sort of relationships. Everybody sort of thought, well, if we just hang out at, at, at happy hours and stuff like that, we'll do networking that way. But that's that works great for people you know. Maybe you meet a few people that you don't know, but mostly it's people you know. Uh, it's not so great, though, for like meeting new people and forging new relationships. It's a little too casual for that. And having the boost is something that actually was helpful. So do you think like, can we get adult companies to understand this or are they just too set? this like, ah, I'm too smart and I don't want to put the money in the booth. And do you, do you ever think we're going to get, a, get them to understand the value in investing in not just their company, but also their industry? I think there needs to be, some companies that need to set the precedent to show that the model can work and then people will come around to it. It will stay the same way until somebody does. Is that a chicken and the egg problem though? If they don't come around, you know, how do you, how do you show that it'll work? It it is definitely a chicken and egg thing, but it really only takes one company. It takes someone with the balls to say, listen, we are, we know we're going to maybe take a short term loss for long term gain. And if you can quantify that by increasing your footprint year over year, that makes a huge difference. And I think what companies started to do that ended up hurting them was, and this is going to sound so stupid, they stopped giving things away at their booths. There are so few companies that do giveaways anymore, even small stuff, whether it's cigarette lighters, lanyards, whatever, you know, just give something away. When I went to my first show in 2008, granted DVDs were still a huge thing. I had to buy a second suitcase 
for all the giveaways that I had leaving that show to come home. And now yeah. I couldn't fill a pencil box with the stuff that people give away. So there's nothing for people to remember you. Then you just become a wash in the noise. So I think marketing is a huge part of it. But when you have companies that go, all right, we're going to think outside of the box. We're going to get some people together to take what is good in other venues of entertainment and apply it to adult in its own special way and make it work. You will just, you'll literally watch the entire crowd come back and it's not difficult stuff. It is definitely not expensive stuff, but there are very simple things that companies can do to get people to come to their booth specifically for conventions. Yeah, you had, um, for those who don't know, who weren't in New Jersey, you actually were giving away a lot of old uh, magazines at the Why Not booth. It was, you know, think like, for anyone who wasn't there, think like Comic-Con in a way where you've got all these comic books that people look through and sift through. And in this case, it was all old adult magazines, um, different, what was it, like Playboys, and I don't know, were there other, uh, other magazines in there as well? There was literally 550 Playboy magazines, and I ended up giving away, I would say it was like 200, 230 DVDs. Yeah, and you should have seen how excited people were, right? I mean, going through those boxes, they were... <laughs> It was like it was like kids flipping through a candy uh, a box or something like that. Everyone was so happy to, and it was it was cool to see that because I don't I, I don't think I saw anything like that ever at Exotica before. I haven't seen anything like that, and the amount of people that I talked to that found their birth month, you know, birth month and year issue, or they said, "Man, I." was looking for this issue because it was the first Playboy I ever saw, or you know, this right. was the first model I connected with. The amount of people that I talked, there were a couple of people that got emotional over some of these issues. And it was just so wonderful to make that connection with these strangers over something like that. It showed people that there are still reasons to go to conventions. You can have those moments where someone is kind of giving a little bit of themselves like I was with those magazines and and they could take that to heart and go, "Man, I'm leaving here with something really cool." And I think you're right. I I don't think I've ever seen someone just give stuff away like that. No, I, I definitely haven't and it was a real cool moment and I, you know, maybe for younger people listening, they don't get it with magazines, but for those who remember, right, the, uh, the golden age of, uh, Playboy, um, and that these, these issues can mean a lot to people. I, when I was young, <laughs> my, I somehow talked to my mother into buying me the penthouse issue with Madonna in it, right? Because I was a big Madonna fan as a kid, and um, it was killing me that she was nude in this thing, right? I wasn't going to get to see it. And somehow I talked her into it, which is crazy, like if you knew my mother, I don't know. And I, <laughs> I think, think what, what she, she did was she looked at the issue, she looked at the Madonna pictures first before she'd give it to me, and it was all black and white, kind of artsy stuff. And she's like, all right, this isn't so bad. And she had a friend who convinced her to, um, yeah, this isn't so bad. Let the, let the kid have it, right? Well, what she didn't do was look at the rest of the magazine. And in that particular issue, it's actually not the Madonna pictures, but there is a um, kind of a girl-girl scene that uh, Earl Miller shot for that particular issue of Penthouse that was fucking phenomenal. And um, 
Yeah. <laughs> I love, I still have that issue. Actually, I have it over there. It's like, I have like almost no old magazines anymore, but that one I still have. Everybody's got that one issue that they remember right from back in the day that was kind of special to them. Maybe it was who was featured in that, or it was a special pictorial or it was just what was going on in their life at the time when they got that issue and they have a connection to that. Oh, for sure. It was one of the big things that got me back into collecting magazines. Cause I haven't been collecting them all that long, you know, maybe five, six years. And I was just finding those people that were getting rid of that physical media. And there weren't a lot of people taking adult physical media. You know, they might take records and whatnot, but they weren't taking magazines. They weren't taking DVDs. And I was just finding all these amazing magazines that I remembered when I was younger, but even different ones going through and seeing all of the bands that they interviewed that nobody else had the opportunity to interview because magazines were so popular and the articles and it's phenomenal, but you definitely connect with specific models in there. There was a penthouse issue. I wish I could remember who like the month that it was, but it was Tori Wells and another woman that did a a pictorial and it was the hottest thing I had ever seen in my life. (laughs) And it's, it's burned into every single frame of that is burned into my brain. (laughs) That's that penthouse issue I was telling you about. I have it all burned into my memory, but uh, good stuff. Um, You know, back to what you were saying about community and, sort of, hey, we all have to look out for each other and trying to get companies to understand the importance of investing in their industry. Uh, This actually ties to another question I wanted to ask you. Um, As you know, Elon Musk, right, new owner of Twitter, and there's been, this has been lighting Twitter on fire here now for the last, uh, uh, you know, week or so since, uh, I don't know, when he took over a few weeks ago. And one of the things that got out, right, there was this story that Twitter was considering doing a pay uh, video feature where creators could create videos and put it kind of behind a paywall on Twitter. Well, this is basically the OnlyFans model, right? Correct. It looks like Twitter's looked at OnlyFans. Uh, they're looking for ways to make money outside of advertisements, and they're they're saying, "Hey, maybe we can do that." Um, also, in the report, it seemed like it was very possible they were going to let adult creators like participate in this. And I am trying to understand my own feelings about this. So let me first start by asking you, when you heard this news, because I think there's a lot of different angles and ways to look at this news. What's your reaction to that? Almost confusion, because like yourself, I don't know how to process this. The model has already been shown to be successful, so it could be successful. It would have to be different for people to gravitate to it because why would you have another platform that you could do the same thing on other platforms on but it's another avenue that if it is adult friendly that is a big step in the right direction it it's so there's so many layers to it that it's tough to say it could be good or it could be bad because like yourself you see so many different hmm, angles of the industry that this could affect positively or negatively. My thing is, thank you if it is true that adults or people in the adult industry can use it. 
but why would they? Because they have so many other platforms to do it on. And it's kind of the, do you know who Bo Burnham is? I don't. It sounds familiar. He's a comedian. He's a writer. Uh, he was known for, for playing the piano a lot while okay. he, would, he would do his stand up and write these amazingly intricate songs. And he was asked about this idea of, of Elon Musk having Twitter. And it's something I've been saying for a while. When you have a company and it goes public, so people can have stocks in it, they can have shares in it. It forces whatever business that is to have to grow year over year and increase profits. If you think about that, it's an unsustainable system because what business grows at a rate, we'll say even 8% forever. That's, that's not how it works. At some point, you're pricing something out. Could this work to inject money, money into Twitter? Sure. But what is the ramifications of that? Is there like, okay, well, now you've built this system down the road. Now you have to pay to be a part of this system where, you know, before we may just take a percentage of what you were making. Well, now, you know, like kind of like the blue check mark. Now, if you want to sell content, quote unquote, on Twitter, now you got to pay. And it just, I think it just, it's almost like they should have left well enough alone, but I, I don't know. It, it's, there's so much noise behind it. I just, I don't even know how to wrap my head around it right now. Yeah. I mean, my first thought was, hey, I'm happy that our talent is basically being taken serious enough by a mainstream platform to perhaps give them another avenue for making money. Um, but I very quickly started thinking about, you know, what happens, though, when all this money that, that was going to adult companies is now going to Twitter instead? Right. And in terms of that whole community building that we've been talking about and trying to build a more stable industry uh, that serves everybody who's working within it, it worries me a little bit to think that Elon Musk might be pulling in. Um, not that I think OnlyFans is run by great guys. I'm not fans of, of the ownership of that company, but at least it's within the industry. Right. And there's a little fear that I have that somebody like Twitter comes along and starts breaking that down a little bit to where there's less money staying within the industry. And you're also right that companies never stop. It's never enough. So like I mentioned, I had a video rental store back in the day in my younger years and blockbuster style. We were renting movies for very cheap. Like you rent a movie for a couple, couple bucks or there was $1 specials or whatever it is. Uh, the movie studios hated that we existed. Right. Couldn't stand it. Right. Because we could buy a, a, a VHS tape. They would charge us a hundred bucks to have it exclusive for a while, right before, before it was available to purchase. And then we could rent it however many times. So if I made a thousand dollars off that tape, they still just got their hundred bucks. They couldn't control, right. They hated that model. They tried to actually kill the video rental model early on, right. And lost in court. They just didn't like it. Once the video rental stores were actually successfully killed by technology, right? So it was DVDs was kind of the beginning of the end. And then there were DVD rental kiosks and Netflix and streaming. And it was all over. If you want to rent a movie for one day on um, Apple, for example, on your Apple box, it's seven bucks. 
right? They're charging seven bucks, six ninety five, right for a for a rental. Price is way up. The streaming platforms like Netflix itself, when it started, was just a few bucks, right? I think it was six bucks. I want to say a month when I first started using it. What's it up to now? Like, oh, well, more, like, like more than double, double, right? Oh, it's like yeah, fifteen, sixteen bucks, something like that. It's way up, you know. And I mean, it's a different service. I get that it's more expensive, but these things never stay where they are. So I think you're right to worry about this. Um, now, this I think I want to throw this idea by you. What do you think that that? is a little should be some incentive for adult companies if they have to compete with say Elon Musk right and they're saying hey come over to our platform use our platform maybe they ought to be spending a little bit more time at these conventions um interacting with listening to promoting and and trying to assist the talent of this industry so that those relationships are there because if they're not doing that then why should the talent care about them if they're not investing back in the talent? Agreed. Yeah. When you are not visible and you are not putting your best foot forward to represent not only your talent, but the industry as a whole, then people have no loyalty. People want to be loyal to companies, but if you're not there to be loyal to, they're going to go somewhere else. So consumerism for most people is, all right, I want to get the most bang for my buck. And that is completely understandable. And that's where these companies within the adult industry can really step in go, okay, you're right. Let's combine our resources and make sure that the largest percentage of money is coming back to us. Yeah. You know, companies early on, like I'm thinking of cam companies and creator platforms, they were very hesitant to do anything that would cause their their talent, right, to end up at a show or someplace else where they would be exposed to other companies who might be trying to, like, win them over to their platform. And we used to argue, and now finally successfully, that that was kind of a short-sighted way to look at the business, right? Um, your performers, your broadcasters, your creators that are using your platform, they know the other platforms exist. So the way you keep them on your platform is by treating them well, right? Um, show up at these shows and show that you care, right? Provide resources for them um, and create a culture. So I, you know, I'm often praising Chatterbait. I'm a big fan of the company. And one of the things I think they're just doing so well is anytime you go to any event, there is a culture there, right, around Chatterbait that's not there around all the other companies. And when the performers and broadcasters arrive, they know they're a part of something. So if you brought if you broadcast on Campsite X, I'll just call it, right, to not point at anybody in particular, and you show up at one of these shows and your campsite's not there or it's there in a minimal way and there's not all this stuff going on, and then you look over and you see Chatterbait and there's all these broadcasters who are having fun together and having a blast in the booth and going out to dinner together. Do, where do you, do you want to keep working for campsite X or do you want to go be part of this chatterbait community? Right. Um, where, where are you going to go? If you're looking at the difference there, um, I don't understand why more companies aren't, aren't getting that. You have to be present and you have to, you have to create a culture and a community within your ecosystem or you're going to lose your talent. Oh, absolutely. And to have that, well, leave well enough alone. 
that was one nice thing about going to conventions, regardless of the industry. If you see someone that's kind of doing what you're doing, or maybe doing what you're doing in a different way, you go, okay, wait a minute. What is making them either as successful as we are or more? And you learn and you start to adapt your model and you make it better. And then other people go, oh, they're making that change for the better. So can I, they don't want to be left behind. And that grows upon itself. And it doesn't seem like there are enough companies willing once again to take that risk, quote unquote, to really put themselves out there to go, okay, we want to move this forward. We want to be the pioneers in whatever way we can be and just let everybody come in behind us to make it stronger. 100%, man, 100%. Um, you know, I, I do want to let you go. I know I've been taking up a ton of your time tonight. I appreciate you being so patient with all these questions. Um, but there's something I did want to ask you before you go, because you've done so many interviews um, what did we say? Uh, 400 plus episodes so far of your podcast. Yeah. I'm at, uh, as we record this, I'm right around 417. I've probably done either short form or long form interviews. I probably am over 200. I would imagine. That's, that's fucking amazing because like, seriously, um, staying power in this industry is so rare, right? Anybody doing something consistently like that is, is really rare. So congratulations to you on that. I think that's a real amazing accomplishment. Um, but I did want to ask you with so many interviews, as you think back um, either recently or all the way back to the beginning, is there any interview that you've done that just really stands out to you? And uh, when you think back and why, what was the reason that stands out? There are so many great interviews, and a lot of the times it's as much about the interview as when the interview's over. And I have those moments to make sure that they enjoyed the interview and if there was anything that they may want me to cut out of it. And just to have those conversations afterwards where it is still more relaxed, we're still in that conversational mindset that I really enjoy. But because of the the reputation that I have within the industry. I've been lucky enough to actually have a number of performers come to my home, my home studio, which I call the Dangle Dome, and sit in here and just have a wonderful conversation. I've had Kenna James here a number of times, uh, Brooklyn Chase, Maddie O'Reilly, Ray of Sunshine has been here. And just to be able to you know, pick them up, we get a bite to eat, we come to the studio, just have a nice conversation for as long as we feel like having a conversation and and go back to have that trust within those performers. Those are the moments that I will never forget. Those are the ones where I just go, man, I am so lucky to do what I do at the level that I do it. And I'm just so happy that I'm able to have the listeners enjoy it along with me. It's not because there, there's always that mindset of, well, take pictures or it didn't happen. You know, well, right. I have an hour and a half recording that it happened and it's amazing. <laughs> and then I get to share that, you know, with, with the, the podcast world. It's really awesome. Yeah. You know, there's, I think a sentiment that I share that I feel you're regularly uh, communicating is that the people that work in our industry, yeah, there's some assholes here and there in our industry, like no doubt, but there's so many amazing, wonderful people who are trying to get through this crazy fucking world, right? And a lot of people who maybe don't 
fit in so great with like the corporate nine to five, you know, they're, they're just looking for a different way to live, a way to live a little bit more freely, a little bit more to, to their, to their own, um, you know, their own preferences. And there's a whole lot of creative people in this business too. And I, I think, Thinking back to the douche bros questions, right, and the people who ask these these uh, terrible questions of our of our talent don't really understand that about our industry. And I'm glad that you've been kind of exposing that and working to help people really understand what our what our industry is all about. Yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's the podcast itself has helped me deal with my depression and the things that I deal with, and the thought that my podcast could be an escape for somebody else is amazing to me. So to have built what I have with people like yourself and so many other amazing people, it just, it's one of those things I can always look back on and just go, man, that was awesome. Cause you know, at, at some point, you know, this, this goes away, but you know, not anytime <laughs> soon, but right. you know, th there'll be that point and I'll be able to go back and go, man, do I have some stories? And it's funny that you talk about the, you know, there are assholes in this industry. I kind of go out of my way not to talk about it on my show because it's almost like for me, you can always have those confirmation biases in something you don't understand. And you go, right. well, see that one person or that one event and see there's bad people. Well, right. But that's one. There are, right. there are thousands. I have met hundreds upon hundreds of performers that are absolutely incredible. And that's what you need to gravitate to because you could always find the idiots in every population. So which which is what the mainstream does, I'm afraid, unfortunately, like you have New York Times, these these what they do is they try to find an edge case, right? Oh. Something that went wrong. And then and then they present it to their audience in a way that makes people think this is what the industry is all about. Like this is happening right and left in the industry uh, instead of people really understanding what what the women and men of our industry are really all about. And that's like one of the things I'm proudest of uh, about our show in Hollywood. Um, I tell this story a lot and I, and I think it's important for people to know after the cam awards in 21, I was talking to our contact at the Avalon and she told me that her own staff, like lighting guys, technicians, et cetera, came up to her after the show and were telling her how, proud they were to have been a part of the show and that the show changed their views about sex work, right? That they felt like they were a part of something really good. And when I heard that, it's like, wow, because that was the goal. That's why we have the live stream. That's why we're getting out to as many people as possible. That is the goal because all this, this tactic that I was referring to where the media takes that edge case that you're saying you're trying to avoid and blows it out of proportion or just gives it a big giant megaphone and puts a spotlight on it. And everybody comes away with the wrong impression from reading that shit. Uh, man, it's, it, we have to, we have, it's my way of fighting back, I guess a little against that, you know, and it sounds like you, you do, you have your own way of fighting back against that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Because when it comes to, the podcast, I tell people it's pre-recorded, and for now it's audio only because there are times where you may get caught up in the conversation. You go, oh, shit, I shouldn't have said that. Well, right. if it's live, 
then you're screwed. But at yeah. least there's a moment where you can go, ooh, you know what? I shouldn't have said that. Could you cut that out? Absolutely. Have there been times in my podcasting career where I've done an interview and the person maybe wasn't in the best state of mind? Maybe they were on a substance. Of course. I don't even right. release those. I've had two or right. three interviews where I didn't even release because I don't want to ruin their career. I don't want to become that guy when it comes to podcasting. And it, I, I just don't care for the train wreck. I want positivity. I want growth. I want production in a healthy way. And to do those kind of things just wouldn't accomplish that. So when I do hear the news outlets, because I've had people come to me, either my friends or listeners and go, what the hell? And I have to go, it's salacious. It, it's all noise. It's periphery. You're going to find that. I always say, you know, and they go, well, you know, there's this one person in the industry. And then I go, okay, well, what about this industry and this industry and this industry? They all have bad examples. If you look for it, you'll find it. So just let it go. Couldn't agree with you more, man. I think um, our ultimate goals are are very aligned here in terms of um, what I think why not's trying to do. And it sounds like um, also what you're trying to do. And this is why I'm very proud and happy to have you on the show today. Um, my first show back after uh, this long hiatus. So thank you so much for jumping on with me. Uh, really appreciate that. I'm looking forward to seeing you again. It might be a while. What's your next show? When are you going to be on next? I'm doing Exotica DC. And, oh, great. Yeah. And I'll Meet actually, yeah. And I'll actually be at AVN in January. Great. Jay will be at AVN representing us in January, and I will we'll both be in Exotica in D.C. For some reason, I had in my head you weren't doing D.C. Um, I don't know why I was thinking that, but um, yeah, I can't, can't wait to see you again, man. Looking forward to it, and uh, thank you so much for being on the show, man. Looking forward to uh, to many years of, of to, uh, sharing stories about this crazy industry and all the fun times we've had. Yeah, absolutely. I'm honored to be on, and uh, if you ever want to have me on again, I'm more than happy to bore your audience. <laughs> 100%, 100%, man. Definitely looking forward to it. Thank you so much, man.